Good. We're experimenting with kind of changing up the opening part. Did you like that or not like that? You, how many of you guys liked it? Say, yeah, I liked it. How many say, no, I like it the old way? Okay, it's the old people, always, right? It's just, yeah, good. I like it both ways. All right. So let's, let's just surmise a little bit because people are just joining us. We're early enough in the book that I think in a few minutes I can recap all of last week. We talked last week about, we started with Romans chapter 1, gave you some backstory on who Paul is, what an apostle is, the purpose for this being written. Paul's never been to Rome. He's hoping to visit Rome and use that as a staging place to the westward expansion of the gospel. Unfortunately, he's arrested in Corinth. He's taken back to Jerusalem. He appeals to Caesar. He does end up in Rome for a season, maybe three or four years. He's under house arrest, and then he's in a prison cell, not house arrest, but prison cell, and is executed for his faith in Christ, and never gets to to go to Spain, but the gospel, trust me, has gone to Spain. So in the first chapter, Paul is trying to get two people, uh, two groups of people, the Jews and the Gentiles, all believers in Christ, but because of Claudius's ban of the Jews from Rome, the city of Rome, not, not Italy, the city of Rome, a city of a million people in an empire of five million people. So 20% of everybody that is Roman lives in this 10 mile by 10 mile, densely populated, plague-ridden, uh, open sewer situation. And uh, he, wa- he hopes to go there. Well, he says, um, I want to show you, Jews and Gentiles, the importance of just Christ. So he starts with creation, and he, he gets them nodding their heads. He begins by saying, you know those people that are just bad people. And he begins to say, not just that there's bad people with judgment, but he does a beautiful gift, does a wonderful thing for mankind in explaining why people go from bad to worse and worse and worse and worse. It's not because they're really bad, bad people. It's because they made one bad decision. How many guys know your life can be altered by one bad decision? Right? I, I, yeah, I won't go on the next line, but some of us are the result of one bad decision, but God's redeemed it, right? And, and so I'm not saying God can't redeem it, and in this case, he does. <clears throat> but in this case, he, he says, listen, I, I want you all to see how bad people are and why. So he says, because they didn't see the creator through creation, I, mean, I just know that creation is very important. If you can't get past Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it's hard to get to Revelation chapter 22 and, and believe it. So he starts with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, there's a creator. Now, you guys know that in the history of our own country, that's not some sort of isolated thing. John Locke in the, what, 15th, uh, 16th century began to postulate this thought about um, self-evident truth that sneaks into the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that man is endowed by his creator with certain unalienable truths. Among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of a Volvo. That's right. So, in, in, in knowing this, like this is, this is not like an isolated incident of human history. All human history has said because there's a creator, uh, because there's a creation, there must be a creator, and that creator must be good. Look at the creation. So chapter 1, he wants people to see that if you ignore that, God will turn you over, therefore, to certain things that cause pain. First thing he turns mankind over to is shameful lusts. This is still a natural lust. It's just an unchecked one. And so there's broken relationships. There's disease, there's unwanted pregnancy, there's waking up in the morning next to somebody else's wife, there's waking up in the morning with somebody else's girlfriend, there's, you know, the the emptiness, the man, there's got to be a better way to live. But if you still don't repent, even though the pain is generated by natural lust, then there's an unnatural lust that mankind has turned over to. He says, even women forsook natural relationship with men and, and lusted after other women. Men, in the same way, lusted after other men. And again, uh, you can argue and debate, and we can go into all the science of it and so forth, but Scripture is pretty clear about this, guys. And again, let me just reiterate, I'm not here to make anybody feel good. I'm here to tell you the truth and, and to ensure that you have the right to wrestle with truth to arrive at your conclusions. So I can't genetically modify the seeds of the Word of God to better fit the itching ears of modern man. 
So just because it's a political issue, I assure you I'm not being political. I assure you my heart is filled with nothing but love and concern for all mankind, including my own soul. So this is not somebody on high punching down on the little guy. This is someone looking at all humanity saying, listen, there are reasons we behave the way we do. And if we'd return to that initial bad decision to know who God is, to look at his creation, to find our creator and to love him and remove those obstacles between our hearts and his, the chains are broken, the prison cells fly open and good things can happen. But he says, even if then, even the pain caused by unnatural lust does not create repentance, then there's the last level called a reprobate mind. There's some confusion last week about what a reprobate mind is. It's very simple. No matter what they see, they, they see it wrong. And again, this is not to make them wrong. It's to, it's to get them into so much pain that nothing works. No relationship, no worship, no prosperity. No, he goes, man, they, they become God-haters and insolent. They disobey their parents. They know nothing of love, nothing of fidelity, nothing of holiness. They know that there's punishment coming, but not only do they not repent of it because of the reprobate mind, they, they actually do these things, and they approve of those who do these things. They create entire cultures of those who do these things and say, you're not wrong. Don't listen to that voice inside of you of your creator saying, come back home. And said, you just keep running because there is no creator and there is no God and there is no creation. And so he says that, that everybody has an issue and they're bad people. Well, now the Jews that are very holy people are nodding their heads going, yes, yes. We know some people do eat bacon. Yeah, so the Gentiles are like, yes, yes, yes. I, I know you're talking about the sensuality stuff. I, I, one of my golfing buddies went through that. I, I, I get it. I, I understand. And when they've got them all on their head about how bad some people are, Paul turns the tables and says, you suck too. <laughs> you're, you're actually one of them. And not only that, but because Jews, you know the law and what you should be doing and shouldn't be doing and breaking it, you might even be worse than the people that don't have the law. So before you start pointing your finger, oh, oh, holier than thou, go to the temple, go to the synagogue, even, even rabbis, Pharisees, Sadducees, Jews, listen, stop. There's a common ailment in mankind, and you have it too. Let me prove it to you. And so he says, do you sin? Do you judge? Do you sin? We say, well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a good person. I, I just, I, you've got to hear me. And I, I don't know where this came from, but it is so prevalent that if I said this every day for the rest of my life, there would still be those in this room that didn't get it. So I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it loud. I'm going to say it proud. You ready? The I'm a good person gospel is a lie. Are you going to heaven or hell? I'm going to heaven. Why? Because I'm nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in the heart of God, nowhere in the book of Romans, nowhere, anywhere, at any time is that proclaimed as anything close to truth. Our righteousness repeatedly is pointed out as the problem not the solution, because our righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. Like, my best day, my best moment from my best flesh, still in the eyes of God is a, and forgive me, but this is what it's literally saying, is a filthy menstrual cloth. So my best day, I'm something nobody wants to even throw in the garbage, then my good is never going to be good enough. Let me prove it to you. How many times do you lie before you would be known as a liar? It depends on what you do for a living, but generally one. <laughs> How many times do you murder before you are considered by all a murderer? How many times do you steal before you are known to be a thief? How many times do you sin before you're irrevocably, irreversibly, in your own power, a sinner? See, just because my sins aren't as bad as the Romans chapter 1 sins doesn't mean I don't have sin. This isn't about being good. This, for the love of God, hear me. It's about being innocent. 
by the time we get to Romans chapter 3, we find out nobody's innocent. Everybody, whether they've had the law, don't have the law, circumcised, uncircumcised, children of Abraham, children of Ishmael, everybody has the same human condition from the fall of Adam and Eve all the way through to today. We have all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. He says it this way in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, therefore no one, now, now in the original language, the word no one means something very specific. Anybody know what it means? It means no one. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight. Not, not by obeying the law, not by the thou shalt and thou shalt not, that so they happen to obey on their best day. Rather, through the law, we just simply become conscious of the fact that we need a Savior. I, I'm a sinner. Like, it isn't, it isn't that, that I'm going to be better tomorrow. It's that I don't know what to do with yesterday. I, I don't know how to be free. I don't, I'm just conscious of my sin. David, when he sinned with Bathsheba, made this statement in his beautiful psalm of repentance, 51. He goes, my sin is ever before my eyes. In other words, it's not like I sinned back there. It's like now everything I look at, I'm looking at through the fact that I, I killed my friend Uriah, a loyal soldier in my army, from my position of anointing, from my palace that God gave me. I looked upon another man's naked uh, wife and, and took her that evening in obedience. to the, I, I don't know how to eat without seeing this. I don't know how to sleep without seeing this. I don't know how to pray without seeing I, I Me worshiping, without, I, it's my sin is ever before me. This is what Jesus does. The law made me conscious of sin. It never saved me or anybody else. Now, Paul has, has led us to this place of really kind of like, well, that's great. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But I thought this was supposed to be good news. You said the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anybody know what the word gospel means? It means good news. So the good news of Jesus Christ, you all are terrible. Everybody feel better now? Some of you guys realize what Paul is doing. He's establishing the first pillar of an argument. And that first pillar, please hear me, that first pillar can't be I'm a good person. And the first pillar can't be I'll get better if I just know more. And the first pillar cannot be my righteousness. Self-righteousness never saved anyone. As a matter of fact, self-righteousness is one of the biggest reasons people go to hell. Because we trust that I'm better than my neighbor. You're not being judged against the standard of your neighbor. You're being judged against the standard of the righteousness of God. And no man has a hope in his own to do that. So now that Paul has led us to how far we are from God on our own, he's going to tease us with this statement that we ended with last week. But now, apart from the law, let me stop. To say to a rabbi, to say to Jews who've lived their lives generationally since Moses to this day, now, the righteousness we look for, the, the way we, we read the Torah, um, every Shabbat, and we had the Passover and the Seder and the, the meal and the feasting and the fasting and the celebrations and the mourning and the sackcloth and the ashes. Okay, all of that was cool, but we're going to lay that all aside now because righteousness doesn't come from that. Are you guys still here? Now, we're not going to abolish it. We're going to fulfill it through Christ. But we're going to lay that aside. Like, that's it. That's not it. That's, that's a guardian. That's a tutor. That's a chaperone to lead us from doing too much harm to ourselves, to bless us above other nations because God knows about things that no one else knows about, like rest, like lunar cycles, like the biological world, like the, 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 the microscopic world. So his laws made them better than the nations around them. But we're going to lay that aside now because that wasn't supposed to save you. That was supposed to show you something. So now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God. How many know the righteousness of God is better than our righteousness? How many of you guys want God's righteousness instead of yours? All right, good. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets have been talking about this whole time. This righteousness is earned through church attendance and strict tithing. 
Okay, let me read that again. It's hard to focus sometimes. This righteousness is achieved through surrendering your body to the flames. Now, this righteousness is achieved by going to India and making Mother Teresa look like a carnal girl. This righteousness is what? Is what? Is given how? Jesus Christ, all who? Dang. Wait a minute. The way to righteousness is not my righteousness. The way to righteousness is trusting his righteousness. Trusting him to be, to do, to have done, to be enough, to have done enough, to love enough, not just to do it, but to sustain it. This is the way to heaven, is to trust the one who's been to heaven, came to earth, died for my sins, went back and said, I prepare a place for you? Yes. The good news of Jesus Christ is not in our sin, it's in our salvation. Jesus is our Savior. Look at this. There's no difference between Jew and Gentiles. You guys can quit arguing about who's supposed to be circumcised and what sort of meat to eat. For all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God and all are justified. Anybody remember what the word justified means from last week? It's just if I'd never sinned, right? So all are justified at great cost of personal freedom. Is that what it says? All are justified. All are set before God as if they'd never sinned freely by this giftedness, this charis, this, this grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Are you guys getting this? So here's what's, what's difficult for me as a teacher of this is sometimes you're like, I, I think I'm getting it. Here, here's why some of you are getting it, some of you have got it, and some of you are struggling with it. It's because it's not just knowledge you get. It's an experience you must have. To, your, your daddy somewhere loves you. Uh, okay, but until you're hugged by your daddy, until you hear the voice of your daddy, until you believe through that hug, that voice, those eyes, that this is all real. And so we're going to get to Romans chapter 12 eventually, but we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We've got to start with our mind. Come on, because we've got to believe what he says to believe. Come on, somebody say amen. I'll preach all day long. We, oh, that was even better. You're afraid of me preaching all day long. Well, that was, that's wonderful. Thank you. We got to believe it. We got to get it in our head. We got to get it in our heart. But that is a journey and that is a process and that is often a revelation. That is often an experience. I'm not saying if you haven't had this mind shattering revelation, you're not saved. I'm simply saying this the more we know it through experience, the better the revelation that our mind can conceive. We'll, we'll, we'll hold on to that. We need to know what we need to know, and we need to know him more than anything else. So the first few chapters, Paul uses creation as the basis of his argument to say, listen, this unseen God is clearly seen. So no man has an excuse. But now he's going to go after a different angle in, in the end of Romans chapter 3, beginning of Romans chapter 4, by using the most respected Old Testament father there is. Abraham was the OT, OG. I try to throw in a couple of jokes for the young people. People that are 45 and older, OG means original gangster. I, so. And now the other people laugh. That's funny. Yeah. So Abraham has this amazing place in human history in that he's, he's the father of the Jews because he's the father of Isaac. He's the father of modern-day Muslims. Several hundred years later, that, that lie was invented. But he's because he's the father of Ishmael. Um, Ishmael is kind of their, their Israel, if you will. And he's the father of Christians because he's the father of faith. And Paul begins this new line of testimony to now begin to build the second pillar. So we built one on creation. Now we're going to build one probably more for the Jews and the Gentiles on this man named Abraham. Romans chapter 5. You guys still here? 
Verse 1, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, so we have the same bloodline, uh, what did he discover in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by obeying the law, which didn't exist for 400 years later, but, but if, in fact, he was just such a good guy that he was set right before God, then he has something to boast about. He can say, I am so good, and I can judge all who are not. Let me walk on water and tell you how I've done it. But he says this, what does Scripture say? Abraham what? He believed God, and it was credited, it was gifted, it was added to him as righteousness, right standing before God. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. And all UAW members said, amen, right? Look at this, Romans chapter 4, verse 5. If you're not into memorizing scripture, you need to break that bad habit. And if you're going to start memorizing anywhere, start with Romans chapter 4, verse 5. Look at this. What does it say? Read this with me, okay? It starts with however. You ready? However, to the one who does not work, but who the ungodly, their faith is credited as... Oh, that's good news. <laughs> Please understand what a powerful moment this is in human history. And this is written 1900 or so years ago. Please understand what a powerful revelation. This is, there's locks that have held our generations in bondage back, 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 back. This is the key provided by Jesus Christ to all who will insert it into their life, turn it, and be set free. This, this is what we, we talk about faith. Faith is not the new Mercedes. Faith is not the healed body. Faith is not the prosperity. Faith, the faith begins with that statement. But to those who do not work, isn't this hard to understand? Some of you guys are fighting this. Wait, wait. So you're saying I don't have to be in church next Sunday? Didn't say that. But coming to church next Sunday doesn't make you innocent before a holy God. So I, I don't have to love my wife or teach my children? I didn't say that. I'm saying things save you and things don't save you. There's one thing that saves you, and that is trusting Jesus to be good enough for you and good enough for your neighbor, good enough for the whole world. What he did was enough. What he paid for pays for your sins. Coming back from the dead grants you eternal life starting the moment you believe it. And then from that position, you're not working for heaven. You're working from heaven. You're not trying to love your wife so you get to go to heaven. Because of what heaven has done, you are now going to love your wife from the position of being right with God. You're now going to teach your children from the position of being right with God. You're now going to conquer every addiction that held you in bondage from the righteousness of God. We have it so backwards, and it is so anemic and so powerless. You ever put the batteries in the machine the wrong way? There's a positive and a negative, and you confuse the positive with the negative, and you hit the button and nothing happens? I've just described so many people's problems in Christianity because I'm trying to be good enough, good enough, good enough. Have I earned his love yet? Have I accepted? Oh, that song, like that song, but after the song was over with, you know, I had a brownie. A brownie. Brownies are not greater than the blood of Jesus, no matter what they're laced with today. <laughs> he literally changes your identity from slave to son from adulteress to daughter. I'm quoting literal stories that Jesus had conversations with people. He changed their name because he was good enough for them and himself. It didn't make him less God by forgiving the woman caught in the act of adultery, right? It just affirmed that he was. And when she says, I don't see where my accusers are, and Jesus goes, sweetie, 
I know what you've been looking for in the tent of that man. You're never going to find it there. That was like level one, level two of, of the whole judgment thing. But in going into the tent of that man where you were, you were a prisoner of your own sensuality, your own lusts, come here. What you were looking for was not that. What you were looking for is me. Daughter, get up. Don't sin anymore. How many of you guys think Jesus has a better way? Please understand what a powerful revelation this is. So he continues to present the gospel, but he also continues to bring unity within the church. Look at this. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised? Now, circumcised, you're like, whoa, this just took a weird turn. Circumcision, since Abraham, has been a sign of being in covenant with God. Personally, I wish he would have chosen tattoos, but it, it, it wasn't. Male children are to be circumcised, I believe it's on the eighth day uh, after they're born as a sign of being part of a covenant family. And, uh, and those who have come to faith in the Jewish faith later on in life or were never circumcised as children, there's actual battles where before they go into battle, God says, wait, wait, you have an uncircumcised army. Everybody circumcise your, yourselves. You're like, oh, my gosh. Anyway, I, I, let's just continue. Um, <laughs> is this blessedness only for those who have the mark, the sign of being in covenant with me that they were born into as Jews? Is, this, is that what all this is for, this blessedness, this righteousness, this forgiveness? Or is it also for people who haven't been a part of this, the Gentiles? Now, we've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. We've all accepted that. We quoted it from Genesis. We've requoted it again in Romans chapter 4. But under what circumstance was it credited? When, when was he given this righteousness? Was it after he was circumcised or before? And all the Jews go, huh? He was righteous before he did the righteous thing? Matter of fact, he did the righteous thing because he was righteous, not the righteous thing earned him righteousness. He became the righteous thing, and he did the righteous thing. You getting this? So it was not after, but before, as he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the right standing with God that he had by trusting him while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. All you Gentiles, you good. You trust him. You don't need to be circumcised. Jews, put your scissors away. These are our brethren. They don't need that, okay? And he's also the father of the circumcised. If you're circumcised, that's cool. Don't let this cause division. Uh, the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith, that trust in God that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Well, how did all this happen? You guys still doing good? Remember, this isn't a sermon. This is a Bible study. You doing all right? Got your journals? All right. How did all this happen? Look at this. I love this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, this is Romans chapter 5 now, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, a perfect person, somebody might jump on that grenade to save his buddy. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still the enemy, if Kim and I are in combat together and a, a grenade lands between us, love will compel one of us to jump on it to save the other one. Yes? But if he's a Nazi and it's World War II and a grenade lands between us, I would rather take Kim's body to shield myself from it. What Jesus did is he didn't say, oh, you're on the opposite side and throw us on it. He threw himself to save the Nazi. It's an illustration, but you know what I'm saying? He threw himself to save the Taliban. He threw himself to save the, the, the person that deserved death, the enemy. While we were still enemies, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still on the wrong side of the line, Jesus dies on the grenade of God's judgment for all mankind, and he dies on our place so that we get to live. Are you still here? We were, boy, look at this. We, we were reconciled to him. Everybody say reconciled. Yeah. 
We're not just forgiven. Okay, it's excused. It's not excused. It's reconciled. We were reconciled to him, to God, through the death of his son. Well, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received. Everybody say that last word. Hear me. Everything that was lost by mankind in the Garden of Eden has been restored through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, Adam and Eve, I don't know what their life was like. I've imagined a few times that everybody's naked, so I have to move on to other things, you know. But the, there's food, and there's animals, and there's sunshine, there's grass. There's love, there's peace, there's a complete unity and harmony. And the favorite part of their day is when they would hear the sound of their creator coming in the garden. And then they would say, hey, look, I planted these flowers. Look at these flowers. I must be in God. Oh, I gave you this garden to tend, and look what you've done with it. I, you know, that's funny. I, when I first created it, I, I actually left that spot open hoping that you'd see it and fill it up with something beautiful. That completes, like, it's perfect. Adam, oh, nuggy, 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 nuggy. Good game. It's not pop, because there's no, it's close, so it's right? And Eve would say, look, I took some of the fruit, and I cut this up, and I did this. I'm sorry, ladies, this is too much of a domestic thing. She probably planted the flowers, and he's cooking there. I'm not a sexist. One of them comes and says, look, I, when I combine this tart fruit with this sweet fruit, now taste that. Do you see how they, like, like there's two things going off in your face at the same time. The Sour Patch Kid was born. And God's like, that's funny. When I made that tart cherry and I made that sweet apple, I thought, you know, it's, they're both good, but I wonder if they'll figure out how good they are when they put them together. And here you've done it. Wow, well done. And God would spend some time with them in the cool of the day and walk with them, and they'd show them, they'd talk, and they'd laugh, and they'd eat. And then they'd leave, and they'd go back to work. They'd rest. The next day, the sun would come up, and they'd say, what, what shall we do today? How many guys would love a life like that? When people envision retirement, honestly, that's kind of what they're thinking. I'm eating fruit with fake teeth, but I'm eating the fruit. I'm working in the yard. It's just our soul longing for heaven, for what we lost. Even though we can't picture what we lost in, in any real way, we all know we lost it. So we try our own self-righteousness to make ourselves believe that we're okay when we know we're not. We put on our mask, oh, praise the Lord, brother, how are you? Amen, amen, oh, amen. It's like, I know some people say amen, you're just like, how you doing, amen. It's like, I don't even know what that means. How you doing, well, praise the Lord, child of God, blessed, highly favored, amen, amen, <laughs> come on. And, and that's cool, if that's you, I'm not mocking you, everybody has their own way of talking. Mine is just in, in excess of words. Um, but I'm just telling you this. When Adam and Eve sinned, they did not lose a religion. They lost a relationship. And when Jesus dies on the cross for mankind and ascends to heaven after raising from the dead and defeating death, hell, and the grave in just a span of a three, three days, calendar-wise, but about 48 hours, you know, in, in just hour-wise, he did not restore, please hear me, a religion to you. He restored a, hey, come here. Come here, come here. Let me show you. I was working in the yard today, and I planted these flowers. And our heart can literally hear the pleasure of the heart of God saying, well done. Hey, 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 my wife and I were in an argument, and it was escalating. And I remember what you said about loving wives. So I just decided to, to be quiet for a second and say, 
the problem is not that I'm angry at you. The problem is that I don't understand. Would you help me understand what's happening in your soul? And when she told me, I got it. And we forgave each other. And do you see that? And God go, oh, I, I knew you'd get it. I, I knew if I just gave you enough love for that little girl or her enough love for you, I knew you'd figure it out. How many guys know what was lost in the Garden of Eden, according to Romans chapters 3, 4, and 5, is restored through the cross of Jesus Christ? We're not just saved. We're reconciled. We're back, baby. <laughs> Look at this. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace. Would you say that with me? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we've gained access by faith into this, this again, this charis, this, uh, this grace, these gifts in which we now stand, an abundance of his gifts, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So here's my last question. And everybody, you just stand, but nobody leave. Everybody stand, but nobody leave. Everybody stand, but nobody leave. If you're thinking about leaving, don't leave. If you're thinking about it, but stop, stop it. My clock says I have 18 minutes left. Your clock says two minutes over. My clock says I have 18 minutes left. The Bible says that when we're in this condition of faith, we have peace. Sometimes I, we ask, so are you living a holy life? Because that's evidence of are you, are you, are you, how's your church attendance? Are you eating goat products and, you know, stretching three times a week? I, I think one of the greatest evidences of salvation is his peace. I have peace with God or I don't. I'm right with God or I'm not. I, there's this binary thing. It's not like, well, I'm sort of pregnant. You is, you ain't. But there's no sort of. And, and if I were to tell you right now and say, hey, on a scale of one to 10, being brutally honest, rate your relationship with God, 10 is you're amazing, one is you're the devil on a bad hair day. Often what people say is like, I'm a, I'm a six. Well, why? Well, because I, I subtracted a number from 10 because of what I've done. Or if you're like, well, you know, I've really had a great week. I've overcome a few things. I'm, I'm like a nine. Anything over eight, you have to subtract two for pride, just so you know. But the number really is irrelevant the question is not there so we understand what our number is to get better. The, the questions are because it's binary. It's 10 or it's zero. You trust him. You don't. You're born again. You're not. And so today, how would we know? Uh, I'm better than I was. Well, so is everybody that joined the gym in January. I mean, they quit in February, but they're back again because they saw themselves in a bathing suit last week and they're like, oh, dear God. And so they're, they're back in the, right? So you better... Are we here to get better? Are we here to get righteous? Better than what? Not better than God. So how would you know if things are good with you and God? Well, I, this may sound like a terrible cliche, and it may have been used improperly in the past. But if you were to die today, where would you go? And, and whatever that answer is, is, is really it's setting you up for the next question. How do you know that? I go to heaven. Wow, because I'm a good, oh, crap. That doesn't work anymore, does it? Well, because I'm better, no, because I'm not what I used, no, because I, as I, no, I trust that he's good enough for me. And I've put all my hope in one place, in one man who is the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. So here, closing 90 seconds. I mean, you guys know what it means when a pastor says closing 90 seconds? Absolutely nothing, but here we go. Closing 90 seconds. Do you have peace with God?
because you know he loves you and you trust that what Jesus has done for you is enough to reconcile your heart to his forever. Close your eyes all over this room. Let's find out. Father, I pray for everybody today that needs to say yes to an invitation. Everybody that needs to say uh-huh or even amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord to uh, the some, some great gift from your heart to ours. There are people in this room, I guess I could say confidently, I would have no doubt there's people in this room that need to say yes today to salvation. Don't let them look at their righteousness and say, I need to be saved again and again and again and again. It's, that's not, that's not what this is. This is an orphan being adopted. This is a bride becoming married. This is a covenant. This is a cutting away of, of flesh. This is no longer looking backwards or sideways to things that might someday make me a better or good enough or happier. This is a sinner crying out to a holy God saying, please, forgive me. Please forgive me. That's about eyes are closed, but that's your prayer today. Nobody looking around. It's a beautiful, holy moment. God's moving in people's lives. I believe that. Forgive me. If that's your prayer today, forgive me. Would you raise your hand right now, all over this room? Forgive me. Forgive me. Yeah. It's not a shameful moment. It's a beautiful moment. All creation waits with eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. All creation, the animals, the angels, the stars, waiting for God's children to say yes to an invitation to be forgiven. All creation. Their hand has been raised. You can put it right back down again if you like. All over this room right now, you can say, you know what, I, what do I do now, Jim? Well, there's, there's one or two things that you can do right now. One is this. You can begin to talk to God and say that very prayer. And anything else that's on your heart to say to him, you don't need an intermediary. I, I'm, I'm not like, a, like, like your priest or whatever or uh, someone that takes your words to God for you. God's listening to your heart. He, he has since before your first breath, right? So if you got something to say to him right now, say it to him. But if you just don't know what to say, I was there. I didn't know what to say to God. Someone said, well, pray and ask Jesus in your heart. I didn't know what those words meant. So I, I've always made it my practice to help people with that first prayer to get, get the, the, the relationships established. So if you would allow me, it would be one of the greatest honors of my life to lead you to Jesus right now. Nothing better. <laughs> There's nothing better in my life than this moment. Would you just pray this with me all over this room? <clears throat> Whether you're praying this for the first time or you're praying this to encourage the people around you so they don't have to feel like they're alone right now. Say this with me. Jesus, you were right. And I choose you. I'm sorry. And I ask for your forgiveness. Wash away every sin. I trust that you are enough, that you've done enough, and that you have enough. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Teach me your word. I'm grateful for this moment. And I'll see you soon. Amen. Amen. Look right here if you would, please. Altar workers will be coming forward um, to pray for anybody that has any outstanding needs. Like during worship, sometimes people get healed or baptized in the Holy Spirit or sometimes 
by the end of the service, like, man, my need wasn't met. Like, I, I came in here with, like, a serious, and you never touched on it, never talked about it. I'm already saved. I'm just in crisis. Then before you leave today, understand there's very specific prayer ministry waiting for every need that you might have. Do not leave this room carrying a burden you don't need to carry, walking in things you don't need to walk in, um, in sickness and pain. You just don't have to. Jesus, as we'll come to know in, in subsequent Bible studies, he didn't just forgive us of our sins. He, he brings the kingdom to us. How many guys know there's nobody limping in heaven? There's nobody depressed in heaven, right? So Jesus taught us to pray, let your kingdom, let your will be done on, just like it is in, okay. So that's what this is. This is little foam booths of heaven, little cones of silence and faith waiting for you. So if you need prayer, come this way. Next week is Father's Day. Um, I look forward to that. Uh, right after that's over with, I'm going fishing for a week. I, I look forward to that as well. And I will catch a fish in honor of every person in this room. Amen. May God bless you as, as it goes from here to here. As the moments of your life tick on, never forget, knowing the right answer is different than knowing the one who is the answer. Pursue that. Wrestle with that. May he bless you in so many countless ways that you cannot ignore him. May, may he tackle you from behind with goodness and graciousness. And every time you cast your eyes to heaven, may you see a smiling face, a loving father saying, you can do it, kid. You can do it. And may he give you such peace that you know you are his forever. Live long prosper. We'll see you soon. You're dismissed. Any prayer come this way.